This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. My goodness, I am going to guarantee you guys 1,000% basketball will be discussed in this conversation because that's what we were talking about before we started recording. But before we get into it, let me introduce our guest, Mr. Tamron Manning from Integrity Insurance. And this dude jumped on the scene last year, year before I sit back in the shadows and I typically watch and, you know, no offense to you, Tamron, but when new people come into the industry and they've got a little swagger to them, they hit the podcast circuit and everybody wants to talk to them. And I don't. And I don't just because I always do my best to not be the the podcast that has the same guests that everybody has on it. So I needed you to simmer down a little bit before we had you on. But that doesn't mean the episode's going to be any less fire. I yes, just sir. wanted I wanted to set the table for everybody. So um, before we get kicked off, why don't you just sort of give everybody your little bit of a little bit of your background story so they know where you're coming from. Talk a little bit about your agency and then we're going to be off to the races. All right, man. I am from. Well, first, I'll start with my name. My name is Tamron. Like you said, um, I'm from a small town in Kentucky, um, Georgetown, Kentucky, which is a little pretty close to Lexington. If you know basketball, you know, Kentucky Wildcats, that's where they are. So really Isn't close there a to college Lexington. in Georgetown, too, though. There's not there's a there's not a, a big college. There's like a, a city college, like a town college, Georgetown College. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's so, what I was talking about, man. I mean, yeah. I played baseball. The people are thinking of, though. Not no, 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 no. I know it's not the Hoyas, man, but I actually <laughs> I actually got recruiting letters from the Georgetown in Kentucky for baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. They do have good programs. It's a good school, big school. Um, why didn't you go? Because I went to West Virginia. You went to W.U.? Yeah, I was in Morgantown. Oh, oh, I was at Marshall, so we got a... I made my pitching debut against Marshall. I can tell you that story. Okay. Here well, in a little bit. Well, we'll get into that. Well, I'll skip up to college then. So I, played... I was at WVU when Randy Moss and Jason Williams were at Marshall. Did you spend any time in Huntington or did you stay in Morgantown? I did. I spent a little bit of time in Huntington, more in high school than I did in college. 
Okay. I you graduated high from? school. I graduated high school from Parkersburg High in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Oh, so you're from West Virginia. Okay, that explains a lot then. Okay. I was from West Virginia for roughly 1.5 years of my life. I don't know. I, oh. I'm only I'm only from West Virginia if I'm speaking in West Virginia. That's about <laughs> where I'm <laughs> that gives you the time. I'm from so. Ohio, believe it or not. But anyhow, I'm not gonna interrupt you anymore, man. Go ahead. You're good, man. So I um I played basketball at Marshall uh, University, um, did my college time there. Um, I was fortunate enough to flip that college career into a professional career. I played for three and a half to four years overseas. Um, I had a daughter, which um, required me to retire from um, competitive basketball early. Um, So that was the big shift in my life. And now fast forward to now I'm here owning an insurance agency and my agency is actually in Lexington, Kentucky. So that's where we are now. That gets you up to speed uh, with everything pretty quick. So why insurance? It's a good question. It was, I mean, like, I mean, I hear all these podcasts and all these people talk, but it's, it's true. By accident, I got into insurance. I had a buddy um, that I went to high school with um, that had an all-state office. And when I moved back home um, from playing basketball and all that stuff, um, he was like, man, if you need something to do, you can um, come work with me. Uh, you have the personality for it. So I, I tried it and it ended up working out. So it was completely accident, but I speak highly of this industry and we'll talk about this on the podcast, I'm sure, but I speak very highly of this industry, even though I'm pretty young in it. Um, there's so much to, to love about it and so much great things about it. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle played basketball. He did. Yeah. I see he has a lot of golf stuff, so I didn't know if he was. I got golf stuff, but there's basketball stuff in here too. I'm upstairs okay. in, in the main cave right now. Cause um, we got, uh, we got evicted from our, from our office and, not we didn't get it, but um, they, they sold the office that we that we were in in Lutz and um, but yeah, no, I, I, we're so a bit I, of transition is the way that I would frame that. <laughs> we're trying to figure okay. it out, man. I got two offices worth of crap crammed in mine right now because we yeah. got to find another place to go, and I don't know necessarily if we're gonna do if we're gonna look. You know, we probably will look for at least a landing landing strip up there. But I've also got an option to buy the whole building that we're in right now, which I, I say that. Let me just step back for a second, people. I'm not going to be a real estate ty- tycoon if I close a deal on this building. We, we're we in half of it. I get the other Mark half. Spain? That's that's You're about Mark it. Yeah. Spain. Yeah. God, who is that guy, by the way? He know. came out I of nowhere, him. man. I see his billboards up here, and he's just it's just like his, his big old cheesy face. And he's like, I will buy you. Yeah, and he's from Atlanta. He's not even from here. Of course he is. Uh, but yeah, so I, I played in high school. Um, I, I was uh, I was a one and a two, and um, yeah, man, those are some of the some of the best times of my life. Like um, it was oh, cool. Sure. It was uh, you learn you learn a lot about um, just kind of how to how to operate. Like like I, I I always find that the people that have been the most successful in any of my sales teams or any of the companies that I've been in have been people that played sports because they know how to work with the team. They've got that competitive edge. And, um, and yeah, so David and I joke all the time about how he's going to, he's going to light me up from, from behind the arc. I don't see it. I mean, I, so like, have you I, never seen the fat guy on Instagram? That's at the playground, the fat white guy with the, the blonde hair. Have you not seen this guy? I, I, just I, freaking... All I can think of right now is, is Philip Seymour Hoffman in, uh, freaking right. along, is white it along? chocolate. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't played in a long time, but I, I, I made the North, North versus South County all-star game. And then the 
Hillsborough versus Pinellas All Star Game. So I, I had I had some game back in the day, but I are you from I Florida? Was, yeah, I grew up here in uh, in the Tampa Bay area in in Pinellas okay. County. Um, but I would literally go into cardiac arrest if I tried to play basketball right now. Like play half court. It would not be good, man. We I played in a men's league probably four or five years ago, and like just got. Oh, my, I remember. Dude. I remember it. <laughs> okay, so that was when I was, that was when I was here. Okay, so yeah. I um, early early on though early on I uh, yeah. first of all I would like I mean I was what we were playing two three zone I was walking up the court and uh, I I dude this guy like help side help side yeah, exactly. <laughs> nowhere to be found this guy pumped faith and got me in the air. And so I'm like open and he just like jammed the ball, like, like punched me in the ribs with the ball and like tried Immensely. to draw it out. And I was like, dude, and like, literally, I, I, I don't think it was broken. I have no way of really No, but knowing. it messed your ribs up. I remember that. For six weeks I was out. I was yeah. like, I, it was terrible. The worst pain ever. But you gotta uh, be careful who you play with. with this, this I know, one. man. It was just like a men's recreate, whatever. But uh, yeah, so, so I, I, haven't, I haven't played recently, but I did have some game back in the day and. It was so funny, man, because you say that when I posted the thread um, when we when Ethan got to see his new basketball goal buried deep in that thread is a dude I grew up with that said, I still remember the patented head fake. And I'm like, so bad, so, so bad. And he's like, it's still got me eight out of 10 times. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I agree with Kyle. I think that I think a couple of things, man, and I'll be interested in Tamron's experience, too. <laughs> I played I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school, and it's kind of weird. I, I played baseball first, and then I played basketball to get in shape for baseball, and then I started playing huh. football to get in shape for basketball to get in shape for baseball. Baseball was always what I wanted to play. Oh. I was actually I was actually pretty good in basketball too. I could have gone and played at small school, but I I really really wanted to play baseball. I was drafted by Cleveland out of high school, very very low, so I went to college instead, hoping to improve my chances, only to blow out my my pitching arm. So it didn't work out, but it, it's worked out okay. I don't ever I don't live with any regrets for that. But you know what what I will tell you is I do think that people that, that are ex athletes that have and I think it's also important that they grow up in the team environment. It's not just and, and you're not going to be walking onto your college basketball team having never played as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You're conditioned to be on a team from a really early age, and yeah. you know I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm so direct in a lot of of my conversation is because. When you're playing a sport, man, you don't have time to explain why you're asking for something or why you want to do what you want to do. You you basically get on somebody and then you pick them up, you know, as soon as you you turn around. And I can look back over the course of my career personally, and the times I have been the most frustrated is when I'm dealing with a group of people who didn't play on teams, didn't grow up in team sports. And I mean... I, yeah, I mean, I can even say it, you know, the the agency what I was at before I launched Florida Risk Partners, the two people I was partners with had no experience whatsoever in playing in a team environment. It was obvious in their leadership style. And it's ultimately what pissed me off and made me open my own agency. So, yeah. you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I, you know, there are there are agencies out there that actively recruit ex-athletes specifically. Yeah. So. 
um, you know, I don't know, man, what's your experience? I, I honestly don't know much about your agency, how big your team is. I expect it's probably not very big yet. You may even be by yourself for, at this point. I, you know, I, I really don't know. I was just more interested, you know, having you come on the show. I wanted to kind of find out, okay, dust has settled a little bit. You know, you've been in the industry a year, two, three years, however long. What's it like now? What, what's it like now that you've had the opportunity to sort of get your feet wet and look at it? And how much do you think that that experience of playing basketball has helped you as you've moved into this industry? Well, I'll, I'll back up um, just to give um, some reference. So I started, I opened my agency October 2021. Um, so my agency is obviously in its infancy stages. So, I so am, you're not even two in. You're coming, you're yeah, like I'm about a year and a half. Good for you, man. Uh, yeah. So I got my, um, so I am by myself currently. So I'm not uh, working with a team um, at the moment, but that obviously will change uh, sooner than later. But to, to your point about the athlete thing, I think it also depends on who that person was on the team. Cause you have some, I mean, you played on the team. So you have some athletes that would, had bad attitudes and would take that same thing into a workplace. So you have to have either somebody who's a good leader, good communicator, because not everybody on the team. Uh, not everybody's the captain. Yeah. Not everybody's the captain or you have some people that are just, you know, lazy or you can still be lazy and be an athlete and then go in the workforce and continue your laziness. So I would say do your background on who that person was as an athlete. Like don't let the, that's a good point. Tag just like, give you that that bright eye because some athletes I mean I coach now so I coach the high school team um in my town in Georgetown so we so I know how kids are and I know how it is so you don't want just an athlete you want an athlete that is respectable is coachable can listen can understand and do that kind of stuff so I would uh, say that would be my experience it's just what type of athlete was that person what type of person is that person, I think. That's good, yeah, you that's want the you want the guy that's good in the clubhouse. You want you want yeah. the person that's good in the clubhouse because especially in our industry, man, it, it's one thing to go out and be a high performer. If that's the case, just go be a one man shop somewhere and you, you'll yeah. do fine. You know, maybe a one man shop or a one woman shop with a service person that can help, you know, by answering the phones, helping with applications and stuff like that, you know, so that you can go out and sell. Don't look to build a team because it's probably gonna end up being a disaster. Um, well, you said you said something that I, uh, Tamron, that I brought up on the podcast before, of like personal experience for me. I was um, playing high school basketball, and I think I don't know if it was junior or senior year, but um, I, you know, I remember the coach said something to me, and I kind of was like arguing with him back about why I made the play that I did, you know, whatever. And he like he. He, he kicked me out of practice. He was, and then we talked afterwards or, or he might've said right then, he's like, you need to be coachable. And that always just kind of stuck with me because I'd never really thought about it before. I was just trying to explain my side of things to get him to understand. But like that's stuck with me since then to be coachable because it's like, if, if you can be coachable, like you're not always going to have the answers. You're not always going to do things right. If, if you, if, and if you think you are, you're going to be that guy that David was just talking about. That's the one man shop. Yeah, may, you know, may go out and, and produce well, may may not, whatever. But that's just a lesson that I learned pretty early on in my, you know, basketball career in high school that um, has, has stuck with me since. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man. I put a quote out on Twitter um, earlier this week that said, 
the problem, the one of the main problems in our industry is communication in the fact that people listen with the intent to respond as opposed with listening with the intent to understand. That's true. You you just got a really full dose of that for the hour before we were on the podcast. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, and and that's something that really, really frustrates me. It's something that I feel I'm pretty conscious about for the most part. Um you know, I want people to have a chance to get their thought pattern out. I want to understand where they're coming from. You know, I I think it's a pretty arrogant and narcissistic viewpoint of the world to think that you always have the right answer and your answer is going to be the best. That's not the case, man. That's so illogical. It's not even funny. And, you know, for me, if I'm going to go into a prospect meeting, let's just say I go into a prospect meeting and they've got horrible performance on their loss runs. I've got a pretty good idea of the story that the lost runs are telling me, but I'm not going to go in and ask a bunch of questions, you know, trying to have that gotcha moment where I'm proving my point. I want to understand why it's like that. Explain it to me. What's the culture of your organization? What are your processes and procedures? Is this a hiring issue or whatever else? Because you can learn. And I know this is, this sounds cliche, but it's the God's honest truth, man. You learn far more by listening than you do showing everybody else how much, you know, you know what yeah. I mean? No, it's, I it's think insane that's to a think. Bit of the nature of salespeople is you want to go in and you want to show what you know, and you think that you do know their problem and you're going to just knock it out of the park and you're, it, it, it's going to be such a smooth, slick sales pitch. And you, you know, that's how you're going to win your deal. But that's not how, that's not how I've won deals. That like, doesn't happen for, for me. Like I, that, there's very few times that I've walked in and like pegged down, you know, exactly how I thought it was going to go. And I just have this, you know, aha moment. And the, like, that doesn't happen. You, they, they end up telling you stuff that you, like is a total curveball or an X factor that you didn't even know existed. And that's actually the problem that you have to solve instead of whatever you thought it was. Well, is that your personality though, Kyle? Like, are you more of like a listener anyway, like a listener? And then like, instead of some people are just I, really, I would say no. You would say that's not so. He had to work on flipping that in his sales. Same game. for me. So some people yeah, have the added the personality to do to just to listen and sit back and you know. I'm not. No, I think I'm not, I'm not smart enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I just think you know, for me, I'm such a driving personality that I would just run over anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I go in, I could go into a prospect meeting and spend 30 minutes just running over that prospect, talking about all the reasons why they should hire me. And I think um, I probably have done that, you know, at, some, at points in my career, specifically early on. But as time goes on and you start analyzing what could I have done different and something that was really, really beneficial to me as I was starting out is I didn't go on appointments by myself. Um, not, not because I, I, well, maybe to a certain degree, because I lacked some competence in technical knowledge and things, but really it was just sort of understood that we showed up with two or three of us for every appointment because we had the ability to refer benefits in-house, um, 401k and some other things. And so I would typically roll with a benefits person or high net worth per, uh, personal lines person so that if we were meeting with the owner of the company and I was going to pivot for an introduction or whatever, I could do that all the way around. Right. And um, one of the best things that that happened is every time we would have a meeting like that, the second we got in the car, there was a debrief. All right, what did we do good? What could we have done better? What should we do the same? And that way, every single time, while it was still fresh in your mind, you were getting real feedback on your performance. And 
you know, I, I look at this a couple of ways, man. Number one, there's not not very many people are able to take very direct criticism right out of the box, especially if you if you felt like the appointment went really well and you thought you were going to get the deal. Right. But I, I've never felt that way. I don't care what people say to me. It's not going to affect me emotionally or mentally other than it's just going to drive me to be better. Right. And so I accept criticism very, very well. I welcome it. I hope people give me feedback because that's the only way any of us are going to get better. And the problem is too many of us get caught up in our own mindset and, and thinking our way is right. Even if somebody does give us feedback, we're just automatically dismissing it in our mind as soon as it comes in. And you really have to you really have to condition yourself to to understand that this is how this is how we improve and progress. This is how you earn more for your family. Be open and honest to it. Don't think it's all about you. So to that point, I'm going to tell you my story about my college pitching baseball uh, debut in Marshall at St. Cloud Commons in Huntington, West Virginia. In 1992. Strap in, everybody. Yeah, just go ahead and strap in. This is a good one. In 1992, the Huntington Cubs, I don't even know if they're in Huntington anymore, but the Chicago Cubs minor league team played in Huntington at St. Cloud Commons, which was the same field that the Thundering Herd played at. And so it was really cool, man. When we played, we got to play in a lot of the different minor league stadiums and stuff, even though there may only be like a hundred people there, it was still cool to play in the, in the bigger stadium. Yeah. And so at that time, the center field fence opened up and you were in the bullpen and you came out of center field, just like the movie major league. When wild thing comes out at the end of the game <laughs> to save it, you know, you're coming out of center field after warming up. And I was a freshman. I, you know, I, I, I threw pretty hard, you know, I, I felt like I was above average. I mean, you had to have been to be able to get to, to division one. And so they, I feel like they, you probably came out of the bullpen, like John rocker. Just I did hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So what happens? So what happens is the phone rings in between innings and we're getting ready to go up to bat. And the, they said, David's going in, in the bottom, in the bottom of the inning. And it was the last inning. And so I'm up, I've done all my stretching, my warming up, and I'm starting to really get after it. And we're three up, three down. And I hear Thunderstruck start playing over the over the intercom or over the PA system. And I'm like, how did they know this is my song? And, <laughs> and, it, and it opens up, the center field fence opens up. I am so amped up. I literally did sprint just like John Rocker from center field <laughs> to the mound. I go out there, I throw my warm-up pitches and everything, end up successfully saving the game, and we're on the bus getting back, and my buddies start busting my balls, man. They're like, "You what, do you think Thunderstruck? Was, you understand they're the thundering herd. That was their song. That wasn't you your song. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, they they got everything set up. This college gig is going to be pretty cool, man. It's just, <laughs> and so I go out, and unbeknownst to me, it had nothing to do with me. It was 100% for Marshall. And I didn't even realize it because the whole time of, you know, all, all up until that point, they were playing thunder rolls by Garth Brooks. Like that was the, like the low key, but they needed to get, they were losing. They needed to get the crowd amped up. So they go thunderstruck. Unfortunately, they got me amped up and I, I thought it was all about me, but I sit back and I look at that. And I think about that every now and again, when I'm driving around and I, and I say to myself, how ludicrous is that viewpoint? Here I am just a small speck on the a general spectrum of people who play. And I am so 
arrogant in my thought process that I think they went out, researched me, figured out what my favorite song was to warm up to, made sure that was on so that this young freshman making his debut had everything <laughs> set up on a visiting team. Make sure like, he's it's, ready. it's crazy, right? It's crazy to think anybody would do that. But why do we do that when we go into sales appointments as salespeople, right? That's mm -hmm. what people do all the time. And I'm not just relegating that to the insurance industry. I'm talking about when people come in here, I, people pitch me all the time. I'm the world's worst person to pitch because I'm going to criticize everything to that salesperson when they come in and I'm going to give them feedback immediately. Immediately, like Kyle, Kyle used to sell office supplies when we were at when we were uh, when I would be up at the other office visiting them. We had a reception area and that's typically where I would work on the computer up there and everything. And I would have the people from WB Mason and all of that coming all in all the time. And every single time they came in, I would I would criticize their pitch right to their face when they came in. It's like, you know, the reason you didn't get past me is because of this. <laughs> but it was always because all they wanted to do is talk. They never, you know, they never listen. They never take the time to let me explain what my real needs were. And in reality, all they were trying to get me to do was get some really cheap copy paper from them so that then they had me in their system and they could come back and sell me over and over and over again. When in reality, if they would have told me how easy it was to buy snacks, beverages, and water from them and that they would deliver it on a regular basis and I never had to screw with going to Costco again and spending the time to do it, I'd have probably been their customer. But there was no fact finding. There was no trying to understand. It was, this is the deal. You got to take it or leave it. I can only offer it for so long. And it's like, what am I buying a used car or are we talking about right. office supplies here? Yeah. Right. I would have been frustrated with that too. Yeah. It's, it's tough to sell to people. I mean, who sell for a living too. So that's part. But it I will tell you that if they have a good pitch, I tell them that too. In fact, I try and hire them most of the time. That's true. That's how uh, so, Kyle's there, right? Yeah. What's that? That's how you're there. Yeah, Kyle and I knew each other because he was a he was a rep for one of the companies that we use. Yeah, and, and we um, hit it off. We're both smart, Alex. Man, we both are very sarcastic, and yeah. you know, it works. I will say the the one um, you, you talked about initially going out on appointments with somebody else so that you could get that feedback. That was one of the one of the. Um, parts of the office supply gig that kind of went unnoticed, but was a huge benefit. We would see whatever, 30, 40, 50, just depended on the day, how many businesses. So you'd get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of practice and, and um, opportunities throughout the day. But I would, if I was training somebody, which I was almost every single day, um, I'd let them hit two, three businesses in a row. And then we'd, we'd kind of, go sit in the car for a minute. I'd be like, all right, cool. Here's what you're doing well. And then this is the little part that you're leaving out or need to tweak. And I, that, that was just an invaluable, um, you know, aspect of that, that often gets overlooked. But, you know, I think that being able to take that criticism and that coaching is the only way that you're going to be able to be successful in whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, you gotta listen. but yeah, the office supply thing was funny, man. Cause like, I think I told you one time that Quill actually came in and I had the girl pitching me. It wasn't WB Mason, but it was like Quill, which was the company that I was selling for back in the day. And they came in and her pitch was atrocious. And I was just kind of sitting there. I was like biting my tongue because I knew that I knew the whole pitch. And I'm sitting there. Yeah. I'm just like, 
ah, and, and you know, afterwards I gave her a little bit of fee. I didn't like totally break her down like David would, but um, <laughs> I didn't want to completely kill her confidence. But uh, yeah, funny. David don't care about it. No, I'm trying to make them better, man. And I tell them that at the end, sure. I said, if that message stung, I'm sorry, but you're going to thank me for it in a week when you actually get some business. Yeah, yeah. or they or they would quit, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, never sell anything again. Probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, <laughs> probably shouldn't have been in the industry then. No, for sure. So what was uh? So what was the biggest challenge for you, Tamron, when you kind of when you got into the industry, when you kind of transitioned through? Um, talk about that for a minute. Man, honestly, so um, I started, like I said, as an all-state sales um, person. So just strictly sales, um, all personal lines, home auto umbrella. Um, so I was pretty naive, man. I just didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was new into the industry. I was 25 at the time, I think 24, 25. Um, so I didn't know anything about renewals. I didn't know anything about um, the claims process. I didn't know anything about processes in general. Because um, with Allstate, as you know, I mean, all the processes are pretty much built in. You just got to sell it and move on. So once I opened my agency, I would say the biggest like eye opener was how detailed the processes need to be. And like, if you don't have any, like if you just sold a policy as an independent agent and didn't have any like processes with it or like a onboarding process or anything, um, you would look, it would just like, you would feel lost. Like the customer would feel lost. They wouldn't know how to contact you if they had a claim or if they uh, needed to add a car. So all that stuff was stuff I was kind of learning on the fly. Um, so that was probably the toughest transition is just understanding that, okay, this isn't a built for you type of system anymore. This isn't all state you're going to have to create these things. And uh, luckily, people like David and Bradley and all the people, these podcasts that kind of pin out these different ways you can go. It was a big help for me because I was able to understand certain processes and what processes I needed, um, what systems I could use um, that could help me uh, build some stuff out. So that was probably the biggest hurdle was just figuring out you need processes and this is how you got to do it. And all that stuff. Well, and then the next biggest hurdle is drinking from a fire hose and hearing all of that crap and then figuring huh. out what actually is relevant to you, yeah. right? Because, you know, I've been the guy that's the one man shop, you know, Florida Risk started in the dining room of my house. I'm very vocal about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went from being a really successful producer, which is still my skill set, to now being a producer an account manager, a CSR and an operations person yeah, all. Yeah. And, you know, that makes it really, really difficult, but it was easy at the time for me because I didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't go to conferences. I didn't even know like IAOA was a thing. I had no clue okay. any of that stuff existed. And so for me, I was able to stay really, really focused for my first year, year and a half, staying in the lane that I would stay in. You know, my account size was big enough that I honestly didn't have to have more than, you know, eight to 10, maybe 12 accounts total. And I was making really good money. I could handle all of the servicing work and stuff. And I, I truthfully got to a point where I had to make a decision. Did I want to stay where I was and just do things the way that I was doing it, make good money, have, you know, work, have a, have a good work life balance, but probably still not be able to go on vacation and truly be able to let go? Or did I actually want to push the, push the throttle down and, and build it into something more? And I obviously chose the latter, but when I did that and I started going to um, you know, like innovation and brain share and some of these other 
other conferences, that's when it, I was like, holy crap, man. You know, I really only know so the way. Lower. Yeah. The way that I know, because I worked at the very first place in an agency that was already set. Like they already knew everything they wanted processes and procedures and all of that. And then I launched a second scratch agency with two partners I was never included in those discussions around tech stack or any of that stuff. They sort of did what they wanted. And so I didn't know about any of this stuff. I understood what a CRM was and knew that we needed it to be able to manage salespeople effectively. I understood what an agency management system is and why that's important and all of that stuff. But my goodness, man, I mean, it just showed up in my Facebook memories earlier this week, 2019, was when I went to the first, my first innovation, it was in Las Vegas. Oh, and I, I remember going there and just thinking, holy crap, man. Wow. I need, <laughs> I need this. I need that. I mean, I was like the fat guy going to the buffet with two plates, just loading it. Well, probably am, but um, <laughs> lo loading all of this stuff up. And then I come back and I've got like two legal paid legal pads worth of notes and all of this stuff. And guess what? I still have two legal pads full of notes, man. Like I, I I had so much that I couldn't even implement. I couldn't even figure out what my priorities were. So instead of doing anything, I did nothing. Just cast it to the side. Okay. Next year, I went to innovation when it was in San Diego. And that was right before COVID. And so I had an idea of what I was walking into. I made rules for myself before I went. And I said, I'll talk to a bunch of vendors and be friendly, but these are the two or three people that can solve a problem that I have right now that I need to know. And I want to go learn as much as I can, see if we can get a demo while I'm here, if not get it set up. And I was much more effective in my approach at that point. And so, you know, it's just crazy to think when you come in and, and I, I see this happen a lot with people that are captive coming into the independent channel where they have everything set up for them. Right. You have one option. You know, this, this is the system, you know, you don't have a choice. It's, it's good and bad because you, 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 you have that structure, but then you transition in and you're like, okay, now I can do all these different things that I want to do. And but like, where do you start? Yeah, there's nowhere to know. There's no way to know. And I was like, well, I figure you want to start with onboarding because you don't really have any claims yet because you don't have any clients. So I was like, let's start with onboarding. Let's figure out. So I use agency Zoom. I use agency Zoom at Allstate, but we didn't use any of the automation functions. So any of the pipeline function, none of that. So I had to build that out. Like you said, do some demos, learn from some people, um, make some mistakes. Man, at the beginning, luckily, um, I was so small, so it was easy to pivot, but I had some stuff going out, like duplicate um, stuff going out or like stuff going out at the wrong time. But like I said, we were so small, it was easy to kind of pivot and fix that. And nobody was like pissed off about it because, you know, it was a new agency and stuff like that. So now I've got it to where pretty fine tuned. Um, everybody knows what they're getting when the policy sold, the welcome letter, the ID cards, everything like that is coming to them. So now I've got it pretty, pretty smooth. But man, at the beginning, it was overwhelming. It was just a lot that I had to get done to figure out how to make money and be successful and make the agency look as good as possible. So what's the mix of your business? Are you primarily personal lines? Are you some personal, some commercial? What's that look like? So my plan, um, my business plan at the beginning of this was to start at least this first year, which we just ended um, this first year, just really lock in on personal lines. It's what I knew. 
Um, it's what I came from in Allstate. So I was really wanting to hit the ground running on that and kind of build a base of a book from that. And then year two, which we're in now, um, I wanted to do my homework and learn a lot of the commercial side before I just started going out and selling it. So I'm wanting ultimately to have about a 60-40 split, um, personal and commercial. Um, but right now it's like 95-5. The commercial stuff I have is just my connections of people I know are people we insure their personal stuff and they happen to own a business. Um, but I haven't like nailed down a niche in commercial or figured out what I like or any of that stuff. So I want to do some training and some learning about commercial first. But that's my next step is to add a nice um, commercial uh, size of the book. Yeah, I think I think you're going about it the way that a lot of people go about it. Right. I did it backwards. I started with nothing but commercial and then we tried uh-huh. to move into personal lines and then we started having hurricanes again. So that worked out really, really well. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're in a different you know, state. Yeah, Florida's yeah, a different but, but but from from. But to my point, man, I think that the thing that you have going for you, in fact, I know the thing that you have going for you. And truthfully, if I had it all to do over again, I probably would have launched personal and commercial at the same time and had just a dedicated division for it. So we were growing it as the agency was growing instead of trying to go back and retrofit it into what we'd already had set up. Um, and the reason why I say that is because having that base of personal lines is huge. It's it's very, it's like a big security blanket, right? Yes. You know, you're not going to ever, I shouldn't say ever, but it's going to be pretty rare that an agency goes in and loses a huge chunk of their personal lines business, unless you're in Florida and a hurricane came and carriers start pulling out down here. That's much more realistic where you're at. Not so much, right? So now that you have that base built, you've got that security. You have that predictable cash flow coming in on a monthly basis. Now you can start expanding out, learning commercial, figuring out what you want to do, what you're going to be good at, and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, I think that you you end up, I mean, we may very well end up at the exact same place, right? it, It wouldn't surprise me. But for me, it was just naturally easier because that's all I had ever done was to do the middle market. And it's e- it's always easy to sit back six years, seven years later and say, well, I would have done it this way if I had it all do over again. No, I would have done it the exact same way I did it because I did it based off of how I knew what I knew. Right. right. Exactly. And that's what I did. All yeah. um... You're not not just going to start up and do something totally different that you're not used to doing, you know, especially when you're worried about putting food on the table. Like you got to go out and, and, and you you know, you're eating what you kill. So you got to go out and, and get the stuff that, you know, first, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. If they do, then shut up. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I had to do personal lines was number one. Um, Like you said, I just wanted to build that nice foundation and it starts renewing and stuff. Um, all that good stuff happens. And luckily my retention super high. Cause like I said, new agency. So hopefully nobody pissed off at me after a year and <laughs> rates haven't been too crazy on some of the people's renewals. So I was able to get that first year renewals are starting to come down January on through this year. Um, so yeah, I'm in a good spot to make that pivot. The only tough part I would say, and um, I'm sure a lot of new agencies can speak to this as well, but when you pivot, um, keeping up that personal lines. Uh, so what I wanted to do was try to make personal lines so easy to where it's like referral based, um, getting a lot of mortgage lenders and stuff like that, just calling in to do that. So I'm not hunting personal lines um, because like you said, you haven't done a lot of personal lines, but hunting personal lines policies is probably the worst uh, 
I would say the absolute worst part of insurance is just like dealing with people because they're personal lines, man. They're so just, it's commoditized as, as people know, but so you're dealing with that, but commercial is a little different. Like it's relationship based. And I think that's actually where I'll do better. Um, just where I can just speak with people, um, talk to them about their problems, listen to their problems, understand them and help them. Cause I own a business too. So I feel like we got more in common um, than a lot of the personal lines people. Cause they're just trying to save a buck and do all this yep. stuff, which commercial you're trying to save some money too, but you understand the grand scheme of like, if I have a loss at this business, I'm not going to be pissed that I'm paying a little extra to protect me from the loss of business. Cause this is my livelihood. Um, yep. So I feel like those, that's where I'm going to see a lot of uh, success in that commercial field. Because I mean, I just love talking to people and I know a lot of people. So it helps. Yeah, I would agree with that, man. That's why I don't like personal lines, honestly, is because no. I've said it a thousand times. Can't be on the phone with the CFO of a company that's paying us 50000 a year in commissions to handle their, their company insurance. And then my very next call is Mrs. Johnson, who's upset because her homeowners went up 20 bucks this year. And she wants me to do a full-blown marketing analysis to show her why she should wow. stay with us, right? I'm just, Mrs. Johnson... Bye-bye. Like yeah. <laughs> there are plenty of people that are willing to do that. I'm not because in this Tam, I'll be honest with you, man. The best advice I think I could give you 20 years into this is figure out your hourly rate as early as you can in your career, figure out what you're willing to work for and what you're not. Because if it's something that's not going to give you that hourly rate that you've defined, don't do it. Like it, and it's very, very, very hard advice to receive where you're at right now in your growth curve. It's extremely hard because you want everything. But if you listen to anything I tell you, man, know what you want and, and, and stay with that. Don't, don't do anything outside of that. Because if you, if you do, you're taking away from the business you really want to write. You're diminishing your value proposition to those accounts you really want to write because you can't service them properly because you're screwing around with a bunch of crap where people are making you jump through hoops, chasing down money, you know, overextensive service requests and things like that. And you're not, those accounts aren't profitable, right? So I think so many times we get activity uh, confused with productivity. But just look at the profit on, on an account like that. You know, if you're touching something three, four, five times a week, I'm going to go look at the revenue, right? If I touch an account two or three times in a week, I'm going to go see what's this thing paying us? You know, <laughs> hold on a second. Why am I, why am I even messing with this? Right. And then I realize, oh, because the electric bill was due that month. And I wrote this because that was ENS and it gave me the commissions I needed to be able to make the electric bill payment. And we end up writing business for the cash flow in our agencies as opposed to what really is going to make our agencies great in the long run. And it takes a long time sometimes to filter some of that out. We still have some stragglers we need to get out of our book. Right. Nicole and I were talking about that yesterday. Yep. Now, would you give that advice? So let, let's say, well, I've already started, but like um, if you had a brand new shiny agent coming to you and was like, I want to start an agency, um, I'm going to start it with personal lines and, and build it up. Kind of like I said, would you give that advice to them? To, hey, like, I know you want to make money, but the smarter way, because I have I've heard this advice. I didn't take it completely. I took it a little bit. I don't have a lot of um bad clients or stuff like that in my book, but I do have a few. Um, but would you give that advice and like really double down on right profitable, profitable business at first, and it'll just save you the headache. Even if you lose a little bit of money or you don't make as much up front that you think you would make, just like take that on the chin at the beginning and it'll save you a lot of headache year three, year four. 
I, I think that, I, yeah, I, I would absolutely say that because um, I, I think two things. Number one, it's it's much easier if you're Kyle, right? Or if you're Jeremy, our new producer that's starting on Monday, for them to come in and me say, here's what you're going to do. Don't deviate from this. Here's why, right? It's a whole lot easier when you're, I, and I don't like to use the team, the term employee, because everybody here is on a team. But if you're the employee and you're in the person who owns the company is giving you that direction, it's kind of your responsibility to follow that direction. If I'm giving you that advice as a peer, it's not as easy for you to follow because there's no real ramifications to you other than you'll figure it out two, three years down the road. Man, I should have listened to David back then because he was right. You know, I think I think what, what happens is, I'll, you know, to give you a good example here. I just don't want to write. If, if we write personal auto, it's not going to be less than 100, 300, 100. If, if you call me and you say, I'd like a quote for 2550, we're not going to give it to you. I'm just not going to. I want And Does that cost me business? It absolutely does. But it also probably protects my loss ratio, helps my retention and, and all of the other things that you don't necessarily feel right away. But you said something when you were talking about about making money. And that's that's actually the real question. Do you want to make money or do you want to sell policies? Because there's a big difference between the two. You can sell thousands of policies and not make a dime. But if you want to make money, if you want to make profit, here's how you do that. And, you know, it's tough, man, because we see money, we, we see activity, we see stuff coming in, start seeing some direct deposits hitting the bank account every month. And we feel like things are going really, really well. But then we start paying bills out of that checking account. That money disappears faster than you expected it to. And it's like, oh, crap, man, I've got a real problem here. Now what? And then you go up. What do you do? You go out and write more of those policies that caused the problem to begin with. And you just make the problem worse as opposed to, um, you know, going just sticking to your guns from the beginning. What I do know to be true is that if you have an ideal prospect that you've defined and you build your marketing systems around that ideal prospect and you're good at the, at the marketing end of it, you should only be attracting that ideal prospect at that point. And now it's up to you to sell them on your value proposition and why you should be doing business. They should be doing business with you. Um, and it, you know, I do agree with you. Personal lines is way more price sensitive. I don't think that it's always a price play 100%. I think that it becomes less a price play when you find people who um, buy the higher limits already or have an umbrella or whatever. These are people that tend to be more sophisticated buyers that probably have assets that they want to protect and they understand the liability as much as they do, you know, the physical damage to their things. And so, you know, I don't think it's as difficult of a sale at that point if you give them a very coherent argument as to why you're recommending what you're recommending. I can tell you this. If I was going to start an agency with personal lines, I would lead with Umbrella. I would make all of my advertisements about Umbrella. I would lead with it. I would network with solar contractors because here in Florida, you have to have at least a million dollar umbrella if you're going to have solar panels installed on your roof. We get a ton of inbound leads for it now. But the reason why I would lead with umbrella is because number one, it gives me an opportunity to educate. Number two, nobody, very few other people are doing it. And number three, if I'm writing the umbrella, I get to understand what's going on with the home and the auto and the underlying and probably get a look at those too. So as opposed to me leading with one and trying, you know, leading with home or leading with auto, 
and then trying to round the account out. I think it's a much more natural process for somebody to lead with umbrella and make it easier to round the account. And now I'm not even going to sit here and pretend like that's my idea. It's not. I got that. I ripped that a hundred percent off from Jason Kilgo, who's talked about it on multiple podcasts. He's spoken at multiple conferences about it, but that's what he does in his agency. And that's what he did when he was the top salesperson at Geico three years in a row. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I'm ever going to say no to a guy that was the top salesperson anywhere when they want to offer me advice, let alone Geico. Yeah. When we had him on the podcast, he said, yeah, he said, I had, um, I had dinner, you know, with Warren Buffett twice. And then the third time I just told him I'd been there twice. It was good. I didn't need to go back again. Just completely shut down Buffett for dinner. Fantastic. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, Warren. Take yeah, take Charlie Munger out. Go hit up the Golden Corral's Buffett. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that 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 would be you know how I would go about it. I think that if you're having that conversation, it's completely different, and you can you certainly can build lead flow around it. But people don't understand, man. I mean, at the end of the day, the average consumer, and it doesn't matter if it's personal or commercial, when you move up into the middle market and you're dealing with a CFO or a controller, they know what they're doing, right? For the most part, unless they're brand new in that that role, they understand and they respect what you do. They know who's good. They know who's just blowing smoke. And so they'll have a conversation with you. But when you're in personal lines, you know, I think part of the thing is you have to turn so fast in order to keep it profitable that for me, I would spend an hour on the phone with somebody educating them about every single thing they needed. And my profitability would go out the window. That being said, I don't know that I would ever stop doing that because I think that if you're the person who teaches somebody something they didn't know, they're always going to remember you for that. And I think that over time, it builds a much stronger book. It builds better retention and it builds accounts with more revenue. But it's tough, man, because if you invest an hour and you still only end up with the home, mm-hmm. you just you just spend an hour of your time for a lot less money. So, you know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a double edged sword. But I do know this: I do know that if you write accounts that aren't profitable, volume isn't going to cure your problem. No, just right. keep writing the unprofitable it, accounts. It's going to make it worse. It's going to magnify it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So I saw something on Facebook, man. It was, I mean, and we're getting close on time. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I saw something on Facebook and I'm trying to remember what it is, who it is. It may have been somebody, somebody playing basketball, but you, you made a comment and you went in and you offered, you offered to help them. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was. um, uh, I think I'm pretty sure I remember what you're talking about. Let me uh, double check. It was uh, Zach Gold and his son. Yep, it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I was making sure it, I was. didn't say the wrong thing. I'd be like, oh, no, it's not it. But yeah, it no, was, that was Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. That's one of the coolest things I've seen somebody do on social. And it was very obvious to me that there was no intent behind it. You were sincere in that. Yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you something, man. I appreciate the fact that you were willing to go out and do good for somebody else. You have a free pass with me anytime you need it. When you're ready to build your commercial out, all you have to do is pick up the phone. 
I will be your ride or die and help you do that. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't know that I'll be any benefit to you in Kentucky, but if you need a sounding board, if you need somebody to give you a different perspective, if you want 20 years of experience, you got a lot of people out there. I know that are pulling for you, but I just wanted to let you know from one person who is very much a giver to somebody else that I saw do that. I wanted to reward you for that behavior. Um, and I want to be able to do whatever I can to help you succeed when you're ready to go down that road. Man, I really appreciate that. Like doing, um, I think that is the one of my favorite things about the industry. You have uh, just people like yourself, people like Zach, who don't really, I mean, you don't have to do anything for them, but they're so willing to offer help. They're so willing to to be there for you. Um, and just little things, if I could I mean, speak to his son and just give him some encouragement, uh, it's, it's like the least I, I could do for him. So I really appreciate you. Um, extending that offer. And I definitely will cash in on that offer as well. I know. Oh, now that the offer has been made, you don't have a choice, brother, because I'll stay on you. Okay. Cause I'm not stupid. I know who to ask when somebody with your experience offers help, you don't just uh, turn your, turn your cheek. So I'm not stupid. So you will get that cashed in shortly. 100% man. So listen, as we're wrapping up, what have we not missed that you wanted people to know about Tamron Manning or integrity insurance? Man, the one thing I do want people to know, um, I feel like the insurance industry as a business, I feel like is one of the coolest um, different types of businesses. I'm a big business guy. So when I went to college, I uh, was a business major. Um, I did a lot of my networking stuff in college. Um, I moved and shaped a little bit. Um, and I really love just the I call it the sport of business. I love business. Um, so I would just want people to know that when you're building something, um, I started my agency from scratch, build it with like that end goal in mind. Like you want to build a, a true business like we talked about, which we didn't get to knock into a lot. But like we talked about, if you want it to be profitable, don't settle for um a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when you have like a steak waiting on you at the end of this. Like don't do the little things that'll just feed you for just a little bit. Um, look at the long game, man. I, I did that with basketball. I do it in my business. Um, I do it in my relationships. Like there's a long play to everything. Um, and as somebody who's new into this business, I know where it can go and I know where it can take you. Um, I see people like yourself. I see people like um, other people who have started their own insurance industry. Um, so that would be my biggest thing I want to share with people is use this as a business. It's not just like a if you want it to be a little like mom and pop type of agency, it can be, but there's just so much you could build on top of it. Even if it is a mom and pop agency, you can build something that's pretty substantial and can uh, feed your family for a long time. So that would be my biggest thing I want to show people. Yeah. And I agree, man. You know, we make it way too complicated in my opinion. It's really, really, I mean, it, it's not that it's the daily grind is not easy, but the planning actually is not that difficult. Uh, you just got to figure out where you want to be. And then reverse engineer it to where you are right now, exactly. you know, and I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark is they don't take the time to plan it out. You know, it's ready, fire, aim. And, you know, they, they start a business with no business plan. They don't have they haven't identified what their hourly rate is. So they're working for minimum wage or less when they could be making several hundred dollars an hour if they really allocated their time properly. And, you know, that's to me the biggest thing. And I would challenge anybody out there listening to the podcast right now. If you have not sat down and done a formal business plan, if you've even as a producer, how in the world do you know what you're supposed to be doing? You don't right? know. What you're doing. Yeah, you no, like it's like it's like just taking jumping me, jumping in my truck, getting on a road and huh, wherever I end up, where I end up. 
When in the meantime, you could go and say, I want to make X number of dollars a year. Okay, great. Well, how many, how many, what's the average size deal you're going to write? Okay, cool. How many of those do you have to close to get to that number? Cool. Now we know how many closed deals you have to have in an average revenue amount of this. Great. So in order for you to close this many, how many do you have to meet with? Now you know how many you have to meet with. For you to meet with this many, how many do you have to call on? How many, how many, and, and all I'm trying to do is go from here's how much money I want to make every year to I need to make this many phone calls, this many emails, this many marketing drops, this many direct mail pieces, whatever we're doing. This is what my behaviors need to be every single day. Guess what? If you do those behaviors every day, it shouldn't be a surprise when you get to your number or more. The problem is we don't do that. Like that's not sexy, right? It's not no. sexy to sit down and plan, reverse engineer it, and then work the plan. It's sexy to go out and close a deal and then go into these forums online and, and brag to everybody about everything, you know, what you've just done. And in the meantime, you're really just treading water, you know? And so I would challenge everybody. If you're a producer, it's 2023. It is January 26th. When we're recording this, we're one month in. If you did not have a business plan going into 2023, a shame on your agency principle, they should have required it of you, but B you need to go back and look and say, okay, here's where I want to be at the end of this year. It's not too late for you to course correct. If it were six months in, it wouldn't be too late for you to course correct, but you got to stop and make that a priority because there's a lot of you out there that are worried about validating. You're worried about writing enough business or the agency is going to start putting the screws to you and doing the same thing with no plan over and over again is never going to get you the result that you want. It's going to find you doing something else and God forbid you end up having to leave the industry because you weren't given that one simple piece of advice. So take some time over the course of the uh, next week and, and just really build out your business plan producers out there. And even if it's just to define the behaviors and not get into all of the niche planning and everything like that, there's a reason why when people come into Killing Commercial, the very first thing they do is write a business plan that we sit down and review together. That's why. I need people to have actionable behaviors because if you do the behaviors, you're going to get the results. I can't wait until results happen to manage you. I need to manage you in real time. Could you imagine if you played basketball and you went to practice and the coach went for the entire practice and didn't say anything. And then you go to the next practice and they didn't say anything. And then you go for an entire week of practice. Nobody ever says anything. Nobody says, Oh, you didn't shoot your hundred free throws for you were supposed to leave or your form was bad. You need to do this. Or where were you? Why didn't you roll over when the zone shifted any of this stuff, right? We get coached in real time. Why? Because there's somebody there watching the behaviors, making sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. But what would happen if the coach said nothing at practice all week, and then you had a game on Friday night and you lost miserably, and now the coach is pissed. Coach is upset. You guys suck. You didn't do anything you were supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. Why? Well, because the coach was managing results. They weren't managing behaviors, and that's mm -hmm. a big issue that happens in the insurance industry. We need to be better about that. Tamron, yes, thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate your time today. We're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Mr. Hauk, it was glad to have you on. We actually got you on a couple this week. I feel yes. like we're starting to get our groove back. For everybody Not listening, we are actually going to be back to normal here before long. I mean, we've been putting out episodes, but it's kind of been me solo or cobbling together a guest while we were trying to figure out our relocation situation. And what we decided is we're just blocking our Mondays and we're only going to record on Mondays moving forward so that we can record from 12 to five every Monday and then call it a day and everybody can plan around that. Everybody's so, going to get a healthy dose of the D's, baby. There you go. Sounds good, man. 
All right, guys. Well, we'll holler at you later. Everybody take care. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.